Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. So in seminary, we had to take two uh, Hebrew classes. And the first Hebrew class I took was with a young professor who was in his early 30s. And uh, he introduced me to a historic figure named Ernest Shackleton. I never heard of the guy before, but my professor was infatuated with Ernest Shackleton, uh, so much so that we would start classes by asking him a question, and he would literally go on for 30 minutes, and then we'd only have a few minutes for Hebrew at the end, and so it was a devious game to play, especially for seminary students. But we just asked him, hey, tell us about that, and he'd go on and go on and on. If you don't know, Ernest Shackleton is an explorer from the early 1900s, and uh, his most famous expedition uh, is, was one to the South Pole. And as he was preparing uh, to make this journey to the South Pole, uh, he was looking for men to join him in this expedition. He's looking for about a dozen men or so, maybe a little bit more. And so he put an ad in the local newspaper, and I've shared this with some of you before, but the local ad uh, says this. It says, men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition and event of success. Ernest Shackleton for Burlington Street. You read that advertisement and you think to yourself, who in their right mind would apply for such a position, such a position where it'll be completely cold, completely dark, and you may even lose your life. You don't get even paid a whole lot. Why would anyone apply for this position? Well, you might be surprised to know that he had over 500 applicants to go with him on this journey, on this expedition. And I think the reason why is because there were some men who figured out that there was more to life than waking up, eating breakfast, going to work, coming home, eating dinner, going to bed, and repeating. There were men who knew that they were made for a courageous calling, made to do something great. I think in Christian world, uh, including myself, sometimes we reduce the Christian life to just trying not to mess up. You know what I'm saying? Like we just try not to sin. Let's, let's try not to cuss. Let's try not to get angry at anyone. Let's try not to, you know, think those thoughts or do those things that we are prone to do. And we just, we live life trying not to mess up. And if you've ever been in that state, you know it is exhausting and extremely depressing. And while certainly, while certainly we are called to pursue holiness, God actually has a courageous calling on all of our lives to join in him in his great expedition for the redemption of the world. And so if you would, please open up uh, the Bible to Joshua chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. And it is page 178 in the Red Bible. Um, 
Funny thing, so if you're new here, we've been in the series of Joshua for about six weeks now, I think, and this is our first week in uh, the actual book of Joshua. We've been reading some of the stuff that comes before it, and so just to catch us all up to speed, after God delivers the people of God out of Egypt, he takes them to Mount Sinai uh, to prepare them to go and take the promised land. He brings them up to the verge of the promised land of Canaan, and he tells them to go in and take the land. Some spies go in and they come back and they say, the people are too big, too scary, we can't do it. And so the people of God rebel against the Lord. And so instead of going into the land, they complain and grumble. And so the Lord sends them to time out for 40 years in the wilderness. And while they are there, all of the men 20 years and older who were of fighting age, who refused to go into the land, uh, died during that 40 years in the wilderness. And so God then brings them back. And we read, read about this in the end of Deuteronomy. And he has a covenant renewal ceremony where he encourages them to confess their sin, confess their rebellion. He assures assures them of his forgiveness and his pardon. And then he encourages them to choose life, to choose obedience, to choose to follow the Lord and not to choose death and rebellion against the Lord and sin. And he is once again preparing them to take the promised land. And so then they come right to the verge of the promised land once again, right on the other side of the Jordan. And we find out that Moses, their leader, is not allowed to go into the promised land. And he dies on the mountain, and we talked about that last week. And so here, here they are, the people of God, Israel, probably about two million in number, just outside the promised land, just across the Jordan. Their leader, Moses, is gone. Let the adventure begin. Joshua chapter 1, we'll look at verses 1 through 6 to start with. We'll eventually make it through the entire passage of chapter 1. Joshua 1.1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse six, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Let's pray. Lord God, we come today confessing that we like being idle. Many times we like staying in the security of our safe circles, Lord. And yet you have called us to something so much greater. You have put great and courageous callings on our life. Pray, God, that you will help us to identify them and to walk in them for our good and for the good of others and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to ask you the question, what is your purpose in life, what would you say? I've been able to ask dozens of people this question, and typically people have no answer at all. They have no idea what their purpose in life is. 
Maybe you're here today trying to figure out your purpose in life. In today's passage, as we discover Joshua's calling, as we discover the Lord's courageous calling on Joshua's life and on Israel's life, I want to consider three aspects of our own purpose, our own calling in life. I want to consider receiving the Lord's calling, responding to the Lord's calling, and reaffirming the Lord's calling. So receiving, responding, and reaffirming the Lord's calling on our life, individually and collectively as people. So first, receiving the Lord's calling. Uh, As we look again at God's calling on Joshua's life and the life of Israel, it's important to note that throughout the scriptures, uh, God has for each of us a primary calling and a secondary calling. And we will distinguish these and discuss both of these here in this point. Uh, But God starts with Joshua's second calling secondary calling in this passage. Look at verse one with me again, if you would. He says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, literally rise up. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Joshua's secondary calling in this time was very clear. Moses was dead. It is now your turn to take over, to be the human leader of the people of God. Rise up and lead this nation of two million people into the promised land to possess it. And as for the nation of Israel, their secondary calling was also clear, which was to follow this leader, Joshua, into the promised land to take the promised land. Verse 3 continues. It says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So if we look up here at the map, what we'll see is that uh, at the time of this passage, Israel is over here on the east side of the Jordan River. It's called the Transjordan Uh, region, and they are called to go in and to possess all of this promised land right here. And in the land, there are giants. There are well-fortified cities. There are people who know how to fight. And so it's a scary calling, but the Lord calls them to go in and to take the promised land. Verse 5 continues. It says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses in the spectacular miracles that Moses did, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. This might be the greatest promise in all of the Bible. God promises Joshua that no matter where he goes, no matter what he does, that the Lord will not leave him and the Lord will not forsake him. And it is only in the light of God's constant faithful presence that the Lord can give this command in verse six. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. God calls Joshua to be strong and courageous because Joshua's calling is tiring and terrifying. Let me say that again. God calls Joshua to be strong and courageous because Joshua's calling is tiring and it is terrifying. Certainly God's presence 
was his hope, his strength to be strong and courageous. And, and, and this is true for the heroes of the Bible, right? This is true for Moses. This is true for, Josh, jo, for Joshua. But what about you? Is God as present with you as he was with Moses and as he was with Joshua? The author of Hebrews writing to Christians says this. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he, for he, the Lord, has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. This is a quotation of Joshua 1.6 applied to every single believer. And he goes on and says, so we Christians can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I still remember uh, we moved up here when uh, we had one child when we moved up here. We have four children now, and, and uh, we got uh, membership to the Eastside YMCA, which is, or to the YMCA, and, and I remember teaching our kids how to swim. I still remember being at the Eastside Y at the pool, which is a great pool area if you're trying to teach kids how to swim, and, and I would put them up on the ledge, and I would say to them, hey, come on, jump in, jump in right? And they'd be scared, they'd be timid, because it's scary to jump into water that is deeper than you, especially when you don't know how to swim. But I would encourage you, come on, jump, jump in, jump in, jump in. I have you, right? I, I, I'll catch you. I will, I will hold you up. I will carry you. And, and so finally, after some pleading and some petitioning, after I was calling them to jump into the pool, finally they had to believe. They had to believe that their father would catch them, that their father would hold them, that their father would not forsake them. And they would jump in and I would catch them and we would, we would swim and I would hold them and I would carry them across the pool to the other side. They could be strong and courageous because they knew their father was there with them. The reason Joshua can be strong and courageous is because the Lord is with him. Christian, the Lord is not calling you to take the promised land of Canaan. But what strenuous and scary calling has God put on your life? Where is your heavenly father calling you to jump in the pool and trust that he will catch you and that he will uphold you, that he will not leave you or forsake you? Maybe it's coming along someone who is going through a very difficult time. Maybe it's volunteering with Vita or with another ministry. Maybe it's talking about Jesus with your neighbors or family members. Men, maybe for you it, it is stepping up and being a spiritual leader in your household. Do not reject the Lord's calling on your life, but receive it. And be strong and courageous and jump in the deep waters knowing that your heavenly father will hold you. He will not leave you and he will not forsake you. The Lord himself is your helper. And so receive your unique secondary calling from God. But we also must receive the Lord's primary calling. God's primary calling is a common calling on all of humanity. It is not unique to you. It is for every single human being. And that calling that the Lord has on every single human being is simply to the Lord himself. We are called to serve the Lord, to love the Lord, and to obey the Lord. As the Westminster Confession of Faith says, our purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy him 
forever. We're reminded of this in verses seven through nine. Look there with me. The Lord says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my service, commanded you, which is the first uh, five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, which comes right before Joshua. This is the only Bible they had at the time. He says, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. You know, what I find so fascinating about this passage is when God calls Joshua to go into the promised land and to defeat these giants in the promised land, he calls him to be strong and courageous. But when he calls him to the word, he says, be strong and very courageous. Almost as if it is easier to defeat the giants in the land than it is to divide to defeat the giants of our own soul. Verse eight continues. He says, this book of the law, again, talking about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, talk about these scriptures. Let it be a part of your conversation in your household with your friends. But you shall meditate on it day and night. Think about the scriptures. Search the scriptures. Treasure the scriptures. So that, you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. In other words, obey the scriptures. He says, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. There are other places in the Bible that talks about people being successful, but this is the only place in the Bible that tells you how to be successful. Here's the secret to your success. From the Lord God himself, Joshua 1.8, if you want to be successful and prosperous in this world and in your soul, talk about the Bible, meditate on the Bible, and obey the Bible. You know, I have the privilege of meeting with newcomers all the time, and I love meeting with, with dear saints that are older than me, who have just this extravagant story of how they had lived their life apart from the Lord, doing things their way because they thought they knew better than God and how it just led to a life that was empty and miserable. And then at some point in time, the Lord awakened them to himself and they, 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 they clung to the Lord and they started reading his word and they started obeying his word and treasuring his word and how it turned their life around so that they had a joy and a happiness and a delight and a fulfillment that they never had before when they were chasing all the other ways of the world. My brother-in-law had a niece who had a brand new Dodge Omni back in the 1980s. And when it got to 60,000 miles, the car died. The engine was toast. And someone asked her after the car died, they asked her, how often did you change the oil? And her response was, what oil? What are you talking about? And they're like, you didn't change the oil on your car? And she goes, I didn't know I was supposed to change the oil on my car. You see, if she had read the instruction manual put together by the creator of that car, that car would have been a lot more prosperous and successful for a whole lot longer. 
Friends, you too have an instruction manual from your creator. It's so much more than an instruction manual, but it includes that. You have a creator God who loves you so much that he wants you to know the best way to live your life. He wants you to have the good life. He wants you to be successful and prosperous. And by being successful and prosperous, it does not mean having all the money in the world, but it means getting that thing that you think money will give you, which is joy and fulfillment and delight. And so if you are not satisfied with your life, if you feel like you're running on empty, if you are searching for happiness, if you feel like a failure, here is the secret to your success. The word of God. Study it with intensity. Talk about it with others and obey what it says. We then get to verse nine, which is a summary verse of both our secondary calling, which is unique to each of us, and our primary calling, which is to follow the Lord And it says this in verse nine, the Lord speaking, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is repeating this chorus over and over and over again. Be strong and courageous. Courageous. If you look at the front of the bulletin, you'll see there's, a sli- there's the saying there, be strong and courageous. And, and it's hard because it's like, okay, I want to stop there because it looks good. But we need to have the second part of that. For the Lord your God is with you. And because God is with you wherever you go, because he will not forsake you, because he will not leave you, because he is your helper, you can step out in the courageous calling that God has upon your life. And so we must not reject the Lord's calling, but we must receive the Lord's calling. And after we receive the Lord's calling on our life, we must respond to the Lord's calling. That's what we see Joshua does here in verse 10. It says, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. After Joshua receives the calling of the Lord, Joshua responds with action. Notice here though, it's not hasty. He doesn't get up and walk across the Jordan River immediately. He says, go tell the people, give them three days to prepare to go into the promised land. It's not hasty, but he also doesn't delay. He doesn't wait three years to go in and take the promised land. Joshua gets the calling of the Lord and responds by starting to make preparations to take two million people in to possess the promised land. Before we get to verses 12 through 15, just got to give you a little bit of background information. If we look back at the map here, again, you'll see there is this area in gray right here. And what that area in gray represents is Um, is in Numbers chapter 32, Israel conquered that territory. The Lord gave it to them. And when the Lord gave it to them, two of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Reuben and of Gad, I promise you this will make sense in a second, but they requested to settle in that land. And so Moses responds to them when they ask if they can settle in that land. He says, shall your brothers go to war to make the promised land, to take the promised land while you stay here? In other words, are you just going to stay here and enjoy this area and not go fight with us? And they respond to him saying, our wives and children will stay in this land, but our men will go and fight with you until the conquest is done. And then we will return to this land. And so Moses agrees to that. 
Joshua is now reminding them of that promise, okay? So look with, uh, with me at verse 12. He says, And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land, the land east of the Jordan. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then, after they take the promised land, you shall return to the land of your possession east of the Jordan and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. You know, in some ways, taking the promised land had little to no benefit for the Reubenites and for the Gadites. But Joshua reminds them of their commitment to go and fight and even risk their lives on behalf of their countrymen. Joshua, who is responding to God's calling on his life, is calling these men to also respond to God's calling on their life, to step out in faith, to be strong and courageous, and to fight the good fight, not for their benefit, but for the benefit of the people of God. See, once we receive the calling of the Lord, we must respond to the calling of the Lord with action, not hastily, but also not without delay, without delay as well. Think of it this way. Imagine if I am sitting around the dinner table with my family, and I, and I say to my kids, oh, beloved children, thou shalt clean thy room, right? They, they have just received a calling from their father. If they were halfway through dinner and they got up hastily and ran upstairs, I'd say, whoa, whoa, come on back, come on back and eat your dinner, right? Like finish dinner and then you can go clean your room. I appreciate your enthusiasm, but finish your dinner. Likewise, if it's a week later and they have not cleaned their room, I will say to them, what's going on? Why haven't you cleaned your room? And imagine if they came back to me and said, oh, Father, oh, wonderful and gracious Father, I have been thinking about it. I have been praying about it. And I just wanted to make sure I'm not running faster than you are to clean my room. What do you think I would say in that moment? I would say, you need to stop praying and go clean your room, right? Many times, Christians are stuck thinking and praying and contemplating what God is calling them to do in their life. They have paralysis by analysis. They psych themselves out with a bunch of religious jargon and what God is saying is, stop praying and go do it. Go do what I have called you to do. You know, it is impossible to steer a parked car. God has put a calling on your life. Respond to it, not hastily, but also not, without, not with delay. Get after it. Receive God's calling on your life, your secondary calling that is unique to you, your primary calling, which is to follow the Lord as he has shown himself in the scriptures, respond to God's calling, not hastily, but also not without delay. Finally, we have reaffirm God's calling. Look at verse 16 with me. It says, and they, uh, that might just be talking about the leaders of Reuben and Gad, but it could be all the tribes of Israel. It says, and they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will 
go. They're acknowledging Joshua is their new leader. Verse 17, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you commanded him shall be put to death. And then in case you have not yet gotten the message, only be strong and courageous. For Joshua, there is a clear, audible calling from the Lord. He did not need the reaffirmation of the people. And yet God, by his grace, provides him this reaffirmation from these people saying, yes, we know that the Lord has called you to lead us. We will follow you. I'm guessing this would have been incredibly encouraging to Joshua as he faced this strenuous and scary calling that God had on his life. You know, maybe you're here and you are wondering what God's secondary calling is on your life. Unlike Joshua, we don't get an audible calling from the Lord, at least I don't. And so how do you discern what is God calling me to do with my life? How is God calling me to jump into the deep waters? How is God calling me to trust in him and to serve him? Well, let me give you two ways to discern your calling, your secondary calling. First is there has to be an internal calling. What is something inside of you that drives you, that motivates you, that you are passionate about? What is, what is a burden that God has put on your heart that makes your bones ache inside? What is that internal calling? But secondly, there is external confirmation, right? What comes easy to you? How has God gifted you? What comes easy to you that is difficult to other, for other people? How has God created you? What are things that you do And when you do them, other people say, wow, God has really gifted you for that. What are the ways that you have heard others reaffirming, yes, these are the gifts and the calling that we see God has put on your life? If you you think about your internal calling and your external confirmation, you're still like, I'm not sure what I'm called to do. What I would encourage you to do is just go do something. Go do everything. And see what stirs your passions. See where you get reaffirmation, this external confirmation that, yes, God has gifted you in this area. You know, I've shared this before, but I have thought I had, uh, I've had a lot of passions in my life, um, but not all of them were callings. You know, I I thought I was called to be a solar engineer, uh, but that was de-affirmed by my GPA, all right? I thought I was going to be an NFL player. That was de-affirmed by every college coach who didn't want me on their team. I thought I wanted to be a country music artist. And that was de-affirmed by everyone who has heard me sing except Nancy Brooke. Where's Nancy Brooke? She thinks I sing good. No one else does. De-affirmations are hard, but they show us where we're not supposed to go. And the reaffirmations confirm us where God is calling us to go. There's a young man who is in our congregation who loves Jesus, who loves the church, who loves church planting, who thought that he was called to be a church planter. As we got to know him and walk with him over time, it became clear that this probably is not the direction that the Lord is calling him to go. And so me and another had to sit down with him. We said, listen, we're not the Holy Spirit. We're not the Lord God. But we don't think God has wired you in this way. We think what God has wired you for is to be a counselor or an associate pastor and to serve the church in that way. And I'll tell you, it was hard to share that with him. And it was hard for him to receive that. 
But several years later, he is so thankful that we sat down and had that conversation with him because it set a trajectory for his life that he feels like he is walking in the calling of God. And so when someone is honest enough with you to say, hey, listen, I don't see your gifting in this area, or I see that you're very gifted in this area, receive it as a gift of God's grace to direct you in the calling that he has for you. You know, I do not get reaffirmation from everyone about my preaching and my pastoring, but there are many of you have been so encouraging to me in this that there are times when I want to just hang it up, that I want to quit, but I keep going in the same direction, keep going in my calling because of the reaffirmation that I've gotten from the saints of this church and beyond. And so we are to receive our calling from the Lord. We are to respond to our calling from the Lord. And we are to look for reaffirmation on our calling from the Lord. Let me end with this. As you know, um, we are in the process of planting a Hispanic church here in Green Bay. And the Lord has called Jonathan and Linda Asbel Cueta to uh, plant that church with their family. Earlier this week, I was grabbing lunch with them just to check in on them and see how they're doing. And of course, they're sharing about the highs and the lows. There are many discouraging things and many encouraging things going on. And so we prayed about it. Shortly after our lunch, I came across a picture that I thought was just so fitting for our conversation. And so I emailed it to them. And this is the picture. Maybe you've seen it before. But at the top is your plan, right? Nice, steady, easy to the finish line, right? And here is God's plan. Here's God's plan for your life. Can anyone resonate with that? God's plan is not easy, but it is good. It's not easy, but it's better than your plan. There are many highs, many lows. There are checkpoints, bridges. You cross stormy waters. You go through storms, right? This is God's plan for your life. This is how God's callings work their way out. It is strenuous and it is scary, but it is what the Lord has called you to. You know, as I looked at this and as I thought about this graphic, I actually made my own graphic and no need to deaffirm me. I know I'm not an artist, okay? But, but here's the graphic as I thought about Jesus's calling and what is Jesus's story. And as we look, we we know that Jesus was in heaven above. He was comfortable. He was happy. He was holy. Everything was right and good in the world. And he could have stayed there and remained there. But God put a calling on his life to incarnate into a broken and fallen and diseased world. To have a ministry amongst the people for three years to share the good news of the gospel. And then, of course... At its apex, to die on the cross on our behalf. You see, the reason why we can receive the promise from God that I will never leave you or forsake you is because even though our sin deserved to be forsaken, Jesus was forsaken on our behalf. That's why he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason why God has forsaken him is so that God will never have to forsake you. And so Jesus dies on the cross for our sin. He goes down into hell and death, is raised on the third day, has 40 days of resurrected ministry, ascends into heaven where he is ruling and reigning at this time. But his calling is not yet over for he will come again and he will make all things new and bring the fullness of redemption and restoration to this world that all of our hearts long for. Christian, your calling is not an easy calling. But it is a good calling. Receive the calling like your Savior. To not isolate in the safe confines of your heavenly household, but to step into the brokenness of this world. 
Will you respond to the calling to faithfully follow the Lord as he has revealed his word to you and to sacrificially lay down your life to serve in the ways that he has gifted you? I want to end it with a quote from 19th century pastor Philip Brooks. He says this. He says, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be strong men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Christians, only be strong and very courageous in your calling for the Lord is with you. And he has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this reminder today from the book of Joshua that you have not called us to live meaningless lives, but lives of adventure and expedition. Even in older age, I think of Joshua, who is 80 years old when he gets this calling. God, you are never done with us, serving your purposes, advancing your kingdom in this world. Thank you, God, that you do not call us to a life of complacency, but a life of adventure. Lord God, pray for those who are seeking to figure out what you're calling them to do, God, that you would give them clarity by your spirit. Those who do know, but maybe have been hesitant and fearful, pray, God, that you would give them the strength and the courage to take that step of faith, to jump into those deep waters, to do what you are calling them to do, Lord. And God, ultimately, we pray that you would, you would bring this to fruition, not, not for our glory, but for your glory and for the good of your creation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.